Thank you, church, for worshiping. That's another thing I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for our praise team. I look across the stage and I see all the talent that is displayed and demonstrated, and God gave them that talent, and they're using that talent to glorify Him. So I'm thankful for our praise team getting us ready, preparing us for the Word of God. Uh, You may not know this, you may not remember this, but back in January of this year, we began our journey through the Gospel of Mark. We have been walking through this one Gospel, this one book of the Bible for almost a year now. Uh, We have seen so much. We have seen and heard the good news. That's what the Gospel of Mark is all about. It is good news. And that's what Mark says. He says, I have come to proclaim the good news of God. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to complete our journey. We're going to cross the finish line, so to speak, in the Gospel of Mark. And one of the most incredible and one of the most important statements in the Bible, I believe, uh, but especially in the book of Mark, is actually found, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the end. I'm going to go to Mark chapter 15, verse 37, because I believe this one verse really sums it up. Mark 15, verse 37 says, With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Jesus did what he came to do. Jesus accomplished what only he could accomplish. With that statement, everything he came to do, he did. And that's really what sets the tone uh, for this message today. I had to ask myself a question, and and I want to be honest with you. I asked this question in preparation for the sermons to come uh, this December, the Advent season, uh, when Jesus came as a child in the manger. Why did Jesus come to us? That's the question that I asked as I was preparing for the next few sermons that God has called me to preach But I I looked at that question and I said, well, Mark answers that question. As a matter of fact, we could probably answer that question in a lot of ways, in many, many ways. But I want to use Mark's gospel to answer the question, why did Jesus come to us? Well, number one, Jesus came to proclaim the good news of God. That is why Jesus came to us. He came to proclaim the good news of God. Mark 1, 14 says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. That is why he came to us. Number two, Jesus came to fish for people and to make fishermen. Mark chapter 1, verse 17 says, Come, follow me. That's Jesus And I will send you out to fish for people. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to fish for people, and he came to call fishermen to fish with him. Number three, Jesus came to preach. Jesus came to preach. Mark chapter 1 verse 38 says, Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. That's pretty point blank, right? I mean, that's just, that's Jesus saying, here's why I come. I come to preach. And verse 4, or number 4, in verse 45 of chapter 10, Jesus came to be our ransom. Think about that for just a minute. Jesus came to be our ransom. 
Verse 45 in chapter 10 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. That's four of the reasons Jesus came to us, and I'm just looking at the Gospel of Mark. Now, now we can look at the other Gospels, we can look at other books of the Bible, and I'm sure we can answer that question in a lot of ways. But just think about those four things. Jesus came to proclaim. What did He come to proclaim? The good news of God. Jesus came to fish for people. Listen, He came to fish for people thousands of years ago, but He's still fishing today. He's fishing for people like you and me, your neighbors. He's fishing for people, and he's calling for fishermen as well. Jesus came to preach. He came to preach the message of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. But oh man, Jesus came to be our ransom. I want you to think about that word ransom for just a minute. According to Merriam-Webster's dictionary... The word ransom means a payment demanded for the release of someone or something from captivity. A payment demanded for the release of someone or something from captivity. The Greek word used for ransom is the word litron. And litron means a price paid for release. A price paid for release. Jesus came to be our ransom. In other words, he paid the price that had to be paid so that you and I could be released from captivity. That is why Jesus came. Proverbs 5, 22 and 23 says, The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of the sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die led astray by their own great folly. You see, the Bible tells us that we are held captive by our sinfulness, by our sins. But it is God who sets us free through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is why Jesus came. He is our ransom. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Don't you love that? He said you were bought at a price. It was a ransom that was paid for you to be right with God. And it was Jesus. It was Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Amen? Thank God that the ransom has been paid, because I'm going to tell you, you and I couldn't come up with the money or the effort or the time, the energy, anything to pay that ransom. Jesus did what he came to do, and Jesus accomplished what only he could do when he breathed his last. When he breathed his last. So what happened? What happened in the final few hours before Jesus breathed his last. What did Jesus go through? I I know you've read these scriptures, you've read the gospels, and you know all of this, but let's look at it one more time according to Mark's gospel. First of all, I want you to see that Jesus was in anguish when he prayed. Jesus was in anguish 
when he prayed. That word anguish, it means extreme distress and pain. Extreme distress and pain. Think about the suffering that our Savior went through physically, emotionally, and spiritually when he prayed. Look at it. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. The Bible says they went to a place called, a place called Gethsemane. Do you know what Gethsemane means? It means press of oils. Press, pressure of oils. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Anguish. Listen to what he says in verse 34. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is the same Peter that said, Oh, I'm going to go with you wherever you go, Jesus. I would be willing to die with you and for you. Yet when Jesus asked him to sit and watch and pray, what does he do? He falls asleep. Once more he went away and he prayed the same thing. Verse 40 says, when he came back, he found again them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let's go. Here comes my betrayer. I love what Dr. Tony Evans says about this powerful moment of prayer, how Jesus was in anguish, uh, deeply distressed. He was troubled. And, and listen, he, he wasn't just let down by those who hated him. He wasn't just let down by those who kind of knew who he was. He was let down by his very own disciples. Don't tell me he wasn't in anguish. Don't tell me he wasn't deeply distressed physically, emotionally, and spiritually. He was. Dr. Tony Evans, this is what he says in his commentary. Jesus knew what lay ahead. Not only this wretched execution, but far worse, separation from God the Father as He would bear the sins of the world. The true and full humanity of the Son of God is on full display in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was in anguish when he prayed. That's one step of the journey towards the cross. That, that's one ransom price that Jesus paid. But that's not it. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus was betrayed. He was arrested. And he was deserted. Think about those three words for just a moment. Betrayed. 
arrested and deserted. His suffering continues. And like I said, it was brought upon him by those who hated him. Yes, uh, it was even brought upon those who, who didn't really understand what was going on because they had not truly understood or accepted who Jesus was. But it was also by those who loved him. Jesus, he had already told his disciples that he was going to be betrayed. He had told them that he was going to be arrested. He had told them that he was going to be deserted. He looked them in the eyes and said, you will desert me. You will run and flee. He told them, I am going to die. As a matter of fact, Judas Iscariot was the one who left them after the Lord's Supper. We saw that last week. And the Bible says that after he left him, he went and got the armed guards. As a matter of fact, it says he he brought a crowd with him, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. That's what verse 43 tells us. The Bible goes on to tell us that with a kiss, with a kiss, he betrayed Jesus. Now, what was that? What, What was that? Well, scholars will tell you that most likely it was dark in the garden. And people could not be easily seen. And so, yes, this was a sign. This was a marker. This was a demonstration of the one who is called Messiah, the one who is called Jesus. But, but think about this. Do you know what a kiss was during this time? It was an act of friendship. It was an act of kindness. And that is how Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Why did it happen this way? Well, Jesus says in Mark 14, verse 49, the Scriptures must be fulfilled. That's why it happened this way. This all happened just as it had been prophesied many, many years before, just as it had been written. And sadly, in verse 50, we read this, then everyone deserted him and fled. Everyone deserted him and fled. What a sad verse in the Bible. Peter, the one who said, I'll never leave you. I'll die with you. I'll die for you. Ran. James, John, the beloved disciple. Right? Isn't that what he calls himself in the gospel? Ran. Fled, deserted Jesus. They fled the scene when Jesus was betrayed and arrested. Think about that, right? Part of the ransom work that Jesus came to do, it was anguish in the garden while he prayed, but it was also betrayal by one of his own disciples. Being arrested by those who hated him and being deserted by those who said they loved him. Think about the ransom that Jesus paid for you, that Jesus paid for me. Another step toward the cross is when Jesus was falsely accused and beaten. As a matter of fact, I want you to look at this with me in this next passage of Mark chapter 14. Mark tells us more than once that Jesus was falsely accused. Look at it beginning in verse 55. It says, The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put Him to death, 
Look at what it says. But they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Listen to me. Every accusation that was brought against Jesus, it fell to the ground weightless. There was nothing that was said against Jesus that could be true. It was all lies. It was all false accusations. Verse 57 says, Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against Jesus. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple. Is that what he said? But that's what they said. I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will build another not made with hands. They twisted his words. They turned his words. Sounds a lot like somebody else I know in Genesis chapter 3. That crafty serpent that we know as the devil. Just change a word or two. Just twist it out of order. Just, just make, it, make it sound like Jesus, but not really Jesus. Yet even then, verse 59 says, their testimony did not agree. After failing in all of these false accusations, the high priest comes and asks Jesus, Are you the Messiah, the Son of God? He's asking this question because, listen, he didn't want the answer. He just wanted Jesus to say something out loud that he could accuse him of blasphemy. Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? That's what the chief priest asked. Jesus answered him, I am. (laughs) I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus continued to quote Scripture. As a matter of fact, He quoted Psalm 110, chapter 110, verse 1. He also quoted Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13. And then we read in Mark 14, 65, the ransom work. Don't forget that. The ransom work. A price paid to release someone from captivity. Verse 65 says, Then some began to spit at Him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fist, and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. What was the ransom work of Jesus? It was anguish in the garden while he was praying. It was being betrayed by his own disciple. It was being arrested by those who hated him. It was being deserted by those who loved him. But it was also false accusations and vicious beatings. And finally, the last few steps of ransom work, Jesus was disowned. He was disowned. He was mocked. And He was crucified. Again, whether it was those who loved Him those who who walked with Him or or even those who had nothing to do with Him or those who hated Him, what was happening was Jesus was suffering. He was suffering at the hands of mankind made in the image of God. Mark chapter 14, verses 66 through 72 tells us that Peter denied Jesus three times just as Jesus said He would do. 
And what did Peter do? After disowning Jesus, he ran. He fled. Jesus was then taken to Pilate, the Roman procurator, to be tried. To be tried with false accusations, might I add. Pilate was the one, you might ask, why Pilate? Pilate was the one who had the authority to publicly execute someone. After asking several questions and hearing the roar of the crowd, and by the way, Pilate was much like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders and those uh, lawyers, right? They feared the crowd. They did not fear God. They feared the crowd, and so they submitted to the crowd. So Pilate, who is fearful of the crowd, made a decision after hearing the roar of the crowd regarding Jesus. Look at it with me now in Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 15, the Bible says, Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and he called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him. Then they twisted a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were not doing that because they embraced him. They were doing that as a mockery. They were mocking Jesus. Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and they spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. Again, not falling on their knees because they were surrendering to him. Falling on their knees as a mockery. The Bible says they fall on their knees paying homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put, on, put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Verse 21 says, A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country. And they forced him to carry the cross They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. So I want you to think about this with me for just a moment. Last week... We, we looked at the Lord's Supper. We looked at the Passover celebration. Most theologians will tell you uh, that that would have been Thursday, Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening. And now here we are, Thursday night and now Friday morning at 9 a.m. Think about how quickly this escalated. But that does not diminish the anguish. That does not diminish the betrayal the desertion, the mockery, the beating, or the crucifixion. Jesus suffered. He suffered physically. He suffered emotionally. He suffered spiritually. He suffered in every way possible. Why? 
Because Jesus came to proclaim the good news of God. Jesus came to fish for people. Jesus came to preach the word of God. Jesus came to be the ransom. It happened just as Jesus said it would. Jesus foretold his death more than once. In fact, we've already seen it three times in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 8, verse 31, he said he would die. Mark chapter 9, verse 31, he said he would die. Mark chapter 10, verses 33 and 34, he said, I will be handed over to the chief priests, to the officials, to the Gentiles, the Romans, and I will die. Mark 15, verses 33 through 37 are the final moments of the ransom work of Jesus Christ. Verse 33 says, At noon, so He was crucified at 9 a.m. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until 3 in the afternoon. And at 3 in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, My God, Why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he is calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes To take him down, he said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Jesus breathed his last. You ever heard a song called Amazing Grace? You ever ever sang that song? Maybe once or twice? This is the amazing grace of God. That where I deserve to be, Jesus chose to be. Think about that for just a minute. This is the amazing grace of God. That where I deserve to be, Jesus chose to be. The Son of God breathed His last so that Jeff Thomas could be forgiven and set free from the captivity called sin, from the penalty and the bondage of sin. You've heard me say this before. I love Paul David Tripp. There's a devotional that I read called New Morning Mercies. Many of you probably have that and maybe... You've read it. I'm going to be honest with you. I've had it for three years and I just keep rereading it. (laughs) I haven't bought a new devotional in three years because I just start over. I love Pastor Paul David Tripp. Paul David Tripp in one of his New Morning Mercies about this passage of Scripture said this, Jesus was willing to be despised. He was willing to face rejection. He was willing to subject himself to the hatred and violence of man. 
He was even willing to have his own father turn his back on him. Why was Jesus willing to do all of this? And here it is. He did it willingly so that as his children, you and I would be able to live in the hope, in the peace, knowing that no matter what we face in this world, we are perfectly and eternally loved by God. We are perfectly and eternally loved by God. He he endured this rejection so that we would know God's accepting love forever and ever. And he finishes the devotion with this. How amazing is the grace of God. How amazing is the grace of God. I want to ask you a question. Have you gotten numb to it? Have you gotten numb to this thing called grace? Is it really amazing to you? I mean, is it really amazing to you? Is it amazing to me what God has done? What God planned all along to do? Knowing that I would be a rebel and that I would reject God and that I would live according to my plans, my wishes, my wants over and over and over again. Yet He planned all along to send His Son Jesus Christ to pay the price for me. To be the ransom that no one else could be. That no one else could pay. That is amazing Grace, that is the grace of God that was poured out for you and for me. It never stops being amazing. You know that? It never stops being amazing. The other day, and some of you know this, we, 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 we put up our Christmas decorations a little earlier than some. And so we were putting up decorations, and, and, and I work in the yard, Marty really does the house, and um, it, it's amazing. It looks great. Um, she was putting things up, and we were putting batteries and 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 you know new batteries and some of the things that are battery lit. And man, they just lit up. And she had these two little strands of light on on a couple of little trees that she had placed in the house. And she said they got batteries in them from last year. They'll be fine because we didn't really turn them on that much. And so we lit up everything and these poor pitiful little trees. Or let me, let me rephrase that. These poor, pitiful little lights, they were barely flickering. Like, they weren't really shining. Like, like these are shining, right? They, they weren't doing that. Oh, you could tell there was a little bit of light in them, but, I mean, there really wasn't much to it. And what I'm afraid of is that we get so busy in life and we put our eyes on so many things. That's what God's grace is like for a lot of us. When it should be fresh and new and shining brightly, it's just a small glimmer. And then we wonder why people don't want to know more 
about Jesus. And then we wonder why the pews are half empty. We wonder why this ministry team don't do more, this pastor don't visit more, or this pastor don't preach more, or or this Sunday school class don't do more to fill the chairs in their Sunday school room. I'm going to tell you, it's all of that. Yeah, it's the pastor. It's the leaders. It's all of us. I I think the, the glory of God and the grace of God in our lives, we've just become numb to it in so many ways. How dare we? How dare we take for granted the grace of God? How dare we take for granted the ransom? The ransom that was paid so that we could praise God and that we could live full lives on this earth and eternally. Listen, Jesus, this is what's so cool about today. Like, I couldn't plan this, right? I couldn't lay this out any better. There were some Sundays where I was gone and didn't preach, and, and then we had Harvest Day. I started looking, and I was like, I couldn't have planned this. Like, it, it couldn't get any better than this. I'm preaching the cross, and next Sunday I'm going to be preaching the manger. But think about this for just a minute. Jesus began his ransom work in this thing called the manger. We've got a manger scene up here. That's where the ransom work began. It began in the manger in Bethlehem, and it was finished, right? His ransom work was finished on the cross at a place called Golgotha. God's grace, right? It's amazing. It's amazing. Listen, they started mocking Jesus then. They started mocking the Scriptures then, and it never stopped. They were denying Jesus then. In the manger. And it never stopped. Over 30 years, right, of rejection and mockery and suffering. Yet Jesus kept on doing what he came to do. Nothing could get in the way of my ransom. Jesus lived perfectly. He died sacrificially. And he rose victoriously so that I might be set free forever, so that you might be set free forever from the captivity called sin, so that you and I could stand and be in right relationship with God. The law can't do that. Mama and daddy can't do that. Church can't do that. Only Jesus can do that. And when he breathed his last, he did it. Other gospel writers will tell you that the last words that Jesus said on the cross were three. It is finished. It is finished. So I want to ask you a question this morning. As we consider the gospel of Mark, as we consider the suffering of our Savior, the anguish in the garden called Gethsemane, press of oils, where He was pressured like nobody else. When we consider the betrayal, the arrest, the desertion, when we consider the false accusations, when we consider 
the beatings. When we consider the trial, when we consider the crucifixion, is God's grace amazing to you? Is God's grace amazing to you? I want to ask you two questions that only you can answer. And I can't answer them for you. I can answer mine, but I can't answer yours. Two questions. Have you repented of your sin? Have you repented of your sin? And do you believe in Jesus? It's the two most important questions that you'll ever answer. Have you repented of your sinful nature? And that doesn't mean, you've heard me say this, and I'm going to say it again. That doesn't mean saying, oh, I'm sorry, God. Sorry. Sorry I did that. I'm going to try not to do that again. That's not what repentance means. Repentance means, God, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'm the sinner. I'm the sinner of Romans 3.23. Matter of fact, all of us are. Because what does Romans 3.23 say? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Repentance means, God, I'm guilty. And I know that you are right, and I know what your word says. Your word says that I'm a sinner, and your word says that the penalty of sin is death. That if I continue to live in my sinfulness and live out my sinfulness, apart from you, I will be separated from you forever and ever and ever. Oh, it's not just physical death, it's eternal death. So God, I repent of my sin. I am guilty and I know what the punishment of sin is. But oh God, I know what you said in your word. Your word says that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. I believe what Jesus said when he said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Oh God, I am one of the many. Because I repent of my sin. I turn from my sinfulness. I turn from it and I run to you. And like the good father, right, in the prodigal son story, oh God, you meet me where I'm at. You don't wait for me to clean myself off. Oh God, you throw the robe around me and you throw a party just as I am. I can't clean myself up anyway. Only you can. Oh God, I repent of my sin and I believe in Jesus. I believe that he is your son, that Jesus came to proclaim the good news, that Jesus came to fish for people. He's fishing for me. I believe, God, that he proclaimed. He proclaimed the good news. He fished for people, that he, he, he preached the word and I am receiving that word. And I believe in the ransom work of Jesus Christ. I believe he did that for me. Listen, I'm not focused on anyone else or anything else. I believe Jesus did it for me. In that moment, when I truly repent of my sin, and I truly believe in Jesus, the Bible says I am changed forever. That the heart of stone that used to be inside of me is now replaced by God with a heart of flesh. And I will grow in my faith and he will fashion me and form me to look more like my ransom. More like my Jesus every day. 
two questions. Have you repented? And do you believe? Your answer to those questions makes an eternal difference. Your eternal difference. That is our Jesus. He breathed his last so that you might repent and believe and no longer be held captive. What will you do with Jesus?